Welcome to Inside the Match, where Alex and Simone talk residency applications. We are two residents here to help you navigate the match. For each podcast, we'll bring you residents from various specialties and backgrounds to give advice. So today we are super excited to have Dr. Alana Rossman, who is a dermatology program director. So thanks so much for joining us today. It's my pleasure to be here. So tell us a little bit about your role within dermatology at large among so many different program directors. You happen to have a very special role within the residency application process. Yeah, so so as you mentioned, I am the residency program director at Washington University in St. Louis. However, I also am the chair of our national program director group in dermatology, which is through the Association of Professors of Dermatology. And through that work, I've gotten very involved in the residency application process, particularly partnering with the AAMC in their new pilot uh, for their supplemental application, which they piloted last year. And dermatology was one of three specialties to participate. And I'm the main contact person for dermatology, or I guess the representative for dermatology um, to that process. So I've been very involved in the development of the supplemental application, the guidance materials and advising, um, and the entire application process and the transition from undergraduate to graduate medical education is um, a special interest uh, and area for me. Well, you serve in so many different roles. And one specific role that we are most excited about speaking about today is the supplemental application, and more specifically, preference signaling. And so when we think about the residency application process, it is certainly a stressful journey. But many specialties this year are going to be doing something new. Dermatology has had a chance to do it last year. And so we want to learn a little bit from you about your experience with preference signaling and what you're looking forward to with the upcoming year. So for applicants that haven't even heard about preference signaling, can you tell us a little bit about what preference signaling is and what it means when an applicant signals a program? Signaling is a really interesting process, and it's something that was piloted actually by ENT two years ago to really allow applicants to signal their interest in specific programs. One of the big problems that we encounter as programs in the application process is that we are getting so many applications. Year after year, the number of applications being submitted per applicant has gone up in every single specialty. And it is very difficult for us to discern genuine interest in our program because applicants are applying everywhere. Really, the application should be the signal. If a, if a person applies to your program, then you should assume they are interested. But unfortunately, because of the way the system is, that's not really what's happening anymore. So a preference signal or a program signal allows an applicant to choose a smaller number of programs to give an extra little boost to say, yes, I am truly interested in your program. You are one of my top choices. And the hope is that it will help or optimize applicant program fit because programs can interview or maybe are more likely than to interview applicants who are truly interested in their program and allow for better matching, right? Matching in the kind of small m matching of applicants and programs during the interview process, at least. It is used pre-interview, that's really important. So it is used during the application review when you are determining who you are inviting to interview. It is not using during, it's not used during the ranking process. And that's an important point. 
So you spoke about how ENT was the first one to pilot this program, and they put out research that showed that it benefits the applicant. And a lot of applicants say, okay, research is wonderful, but what is the actual experience of the program director? And so for you, when you used preference signaling last year during the MAT 2022 season, what were the benefits that you saw for the applicant when it came for those looking for dermatology programs? Yeah, I think for the applicant, it does allow them to very easily and explicitly express an interest in a program. What we used to see is a lot of informal signals. What that means is that applicants would write an extra statement in their, or an extra sentence or two in their personal statement. So they would customize their personal statements to program. Now, it may look like they're really interested in WashU when they say, oh, I love your program because X, Y, or Z. But for all I know, they've written a statement like that for every single program that they have applied to. So, you know, I sort of take those with a bit of a grain of salt, right? There was also a lot of informal signaling through advocates and profs. So mentors, advisors, program directors, faculty would contact each other to say, hey, you know, this person's really interested in your program. One that is not very equitable because some people have access to mentors and other people do not. And there has been data shown actually through um, OBGYN that underrepresented minorities were less likely to have advocates reach out on behalf of them to program. So certainly that's a major inequity with informal signaling. This really allows more explicit signaling. It's fair because everyone has the same number of signals and, and it's, it's a formalized and consistent way to do signaling so that we all understand what the applicant is doing and why, and then how we can use that, that information. And so it sounds like this is really beneficial to the programs due to the number of applications that they are currently receiving as well as the applicant. But something that may confuse people is while there are 16 different specialties participating in preference signaling this year, there are a wide number of actual signals per specialty. So orthopedic surgery is giving 30 different signals. And a lot of people may wonder how did specialties actually come to the number of signals to determine whether they should give an applicant three versus giving them upwards of 30? Uh, that is a great question. It's a very interesting area. I think it really depends on what the purpose of the signal is, right? So if the purpose of the signal is just to, is to kind of include applicants sort of in an inclusion criteria, right? Okay, I only have two or three signals. It's a small number. That means that if, if I get a signal from an applicant, I know they're interested, but I also know they only had two or three. I know their interest is very genuine. I'm at the top of their list. And so that may be really meaningful to me. But if someone didn't signal me, I know they only had two or three signals. So that doesn't mean that they aren't interested. If I'm number four on their list, that's still pretty high, right? From a low signaling number, what that really does is it allows an applicant to potentially be noticed by a program um, that they have genuine interest in, but they won't most likely be excluded from a program that they did not signal. On the bigger signaling side, so when you get upwards of 15 to 30, the purpose there may be to actually reduce application numbers. This is something we talk about a lot in you know residency selection world is how do we manage the sheer number of applications? It's bad for programs because it's very hard for us to, to actually do holistic review on hundreds and thousands of applications and everyone wants to move towards holistic review. How do we do that meaningfully when we have so many applications? 
applications. We don't want to ignore people's applications when they put time into that, but it may not be possible to review them all. From the applicant perspective, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of time. You don't want to send an application, put money towards something that no one is ever going to look at. You also want to get interviews at the places where you want to go. So how do you do that in a system that has become quite chaotic and somewhat random because of sheer volume? So application, you know, decreasing the application load or application numbers is something a lot of people are interested in. And there's a lot of ways to do that. Obviously, a very quick, easy way is application caps, which a lot of people have talked about. Do we just say everyone can only apply to 30 programs or you do it, you know, specialty specific. The signal, the big signal we talk about where you have 15 or more signals that are given to you gets at that kind of piece of the puzzle, right? So you can imagine, um, and I, and listen, I'm not in ortho, so I'm not speaking for what ortho program directors are going to do with this information, but I can imagine that with, with 30 signals, if I don't get a signal from an applicant, then that means I am 31 or lower on their list. And that's pretty low on their list, right? Most programs are excited to match people who are excited to match with them right? So do I want to have people in my program who are number 30, for whom I am, you know, number 50 on their list? You know, maybe not. We we want to be loved also. And it's not even about that. It's about a good fit, right? And if low on your list, then it might be because there's something about my program that isn't a great fit for you. And so it's not going to be as good of a match. So I suspect that with the bigger signals, the idea is to dampen or to, or to at least kind of move the needle on application numbers. I don't know if it will in the first year, it might, I hope it does. But um, I think over time, we will see that if, you know, if you're only getting interviews at places that you signaled, then you don't need to signal more than those programs, right? Whereas with the small signals, obviously two programs isn't enough to match in most special, right? Just a different, it's a different philosophy and a different approach and sort of a different, like, what problem am I trying to solve? And the next thing that people worry about is where to use their signals. And they might be looking at the vast array of places that you can seek information about a program, whether it's Residency Explorer or the 2021 NRMP Program Director Survey. There are so many places that you can look to get data about a program and its competitiveness in regards to your application. But I am curious, when you look towards the numbers of signals that people are given, where should they decide? which programs to actually put those signals. This is a very difficult question to answer, and there's a lot of pieces to it. And I think the one thing that's really important to address is this idea of competitiveness and how competitive is an applicant or an application. And I think the flip side of that is, is, you know, the top programs and how, you know, prestigious or, or, you know, what their rating is in the on proximity. What does this all mean? Who knows? None of us know. It's basically all made up. I will be honest. I mean, there are programs and I have a very, very strong feelings on this, which some people know about already, but I'm just going to say it. I think it's, I think it's detrimental to be talking in terms of applicant competitiveness, you know, um, desirability or competitiveness of a program because it should be really individualized. The idea that there is one type of applicant that is a top applicant. It historically, you know, in everyone's mind has been, a, you know, above a 250 on boards and honors and everything, AOA, gold humanism, lots of research publications. That may be true in some specialties or for some programs, but I will tell you, I think 
that it is a lot less true for a lot more programs and specialties, especially over time. All of us are looking for people who are going to be excited to be at our program, who want to learn, who want to contribute, and that may look differently based on the program. The thing that most people are looking at in terms of applicants where they want to match is geography. Geography is one of the, you know, if not the main driving factor of where people are signaling and where people want to match. And that remains true depending, you know, regardless of program competitiveness or applicant competitiveness. And I always use competitiveness in quotes because I, I don't like that terminology. So for me, I think instead of applicants thinking, okay, what is a, what is a competitive program for me? What is a reach program for me? What is a safe program for me? What is a, you know, moderate program for me? That is really hard to answer because programs review applications in different ways. As we mentioned before, there is a lot of randomness and, and chaos in the system because there's so many applications. I think it's very hard for applicants to assess where they're going to get an interview. I would say in, in some specialties, it's almost impossible to do that. So rather than trying to figure that out, I think it's really important for applicants to think about what is important to them. For some, it's going to be geography. For some, it's going to be specific patient population. For some, it's going to be specific aspects of the curriculum or specific research interests or clinical interests that are represented by their faculty. For some, it's going to be the diversity of the resident population or the patient population they're seeing. Those are the things that are important to you as an applicant and as a resident. So figure out what those are ahead of time and then use Residency Explorer, social media, websites, all of the resources you have available, open houses to see which programs align with those values and interests that you hold dear. That is the best way to do it. That is really helpful to hear and to recognize through the application cycle that when you know you are given three places to preference for dermatology this year, you want to pick places that you truly want to go to, whether that be the geography like you described or the career interests that you have. There are so many different reasons why you might preference one program over another. And that brings me to the point of, like you said, in dermatology, you only have three preference signals, whereas in OBGYN, you have 18 and in ortho you have 30 and so for a program specialty where you only have a smaller number what happens when someone does not signal your program but like you described it might be their number four and they may really really want to go there it just may not be in their top three yeah and that gets to how programs use signals which uh, and there's a few different ways that programs do that. And we know this just from the data we've collected now from program directors from this last cycle. So there are some programs who are not able to do holistic review on every single application they get because of faculty time and, and constraints on that and other barriers. So they may use the preference signals as, you know, we're going to give holistic review for every single person who signaled us. For the people who didn't signal us, we're going to use the mechanisms we used before. They may have certain filters they use, or they may be looking for certain activities or certain buzzwords. There are some programs who may say, we're not even going to look at the preference signals until towards the end of the application review. We're going to do our application review as we normally do. And at the end, we're going to come up with our list of people that we're interested in interviewing. And then we're going to use the preference signaling preference signals more as a tie break. So if there's 
two or three applicants that look very similar and have very similar scores on our re review rubric, but one of them signaled us, then that person will get the interview. And those are real, that's really what happened this year. Like those are actually true scenarios of how programs used it. And then there are programs like mine. I do do holistic review on all, we do look at every application and do holistic review. And so the program signal was just another piece of information that came in through the application process. So we knew who signaled us as we were reviewing. And, you know, it was, you know, some of those people got interviewed, some of them didn't, but it, it depended on multiple other factors as well. If people didn't signal, so that again, depends on how you do it, right? So if you are in that camp of we're going to use the preference signal as a guarantee holistic review, and then everyone else we're going to use our normal process and filters, well, then I think you're just in the boat you were previously, right? Where your application may get reviewed and it may not. And for people who do holistic review on everything, then I think that will and should catch the applicants who would be really great fits, but didn't signal. And I do absolutely think that happened this year for lots of programs, but that signal just gives you that little extra boost that, you know, if you're kind of on a similar playing field as somebody else, you would be the one who may get the interview because you signaled. And I think something that you said earlier and also said now is that preference signaling is used during the interview process at the beginning, but people may wonder, do those preference signals then also translate to some programs when they're actually creating their rank list? Is this something that they may go back to and question whether or not someone signaled their program at the beginning of the process? Right. And the guidance has always been to not use the signals for ranking. And the reason is that people's preferences change. We all know stories of applicants who have had, this is my number one program. And then they go to that interview and maybe they're not as crazy about it as they thought they would be. And they go to another interview that they weren't even thinking about. And they're like, wow, this program really hit it for me. Right. And so applicants are allowed to change their mind and they should be. That's the point of the interview process is so that they get more information and the feel of the program which is very hard to get from websites or Residency Explorer or other kind of static information pieces. And so it's really important to allow them to have that space and not assume that what their preferences were at the beginning of the application process are the same as post. That is also why there are a lot of people who actually advocate for post-interview signaling uh, instead of pre-interview signaling or both. We don't have that right now. That's where these letters, love letters and letters of intent come in. And I could talk a whole podcast about that. So I will not bore people now, but spoiler alert, I hate them and think they should go away. But, you know, I think that it's really important for, for, for programs to not use this in ranking. Now, do programs do use, are there programs who use it in ranking? I'm sure there are. And it's also hard. You also have that bias, right? Like I really, we really tried not to, but you know, the only way you could blind it, right? You could use it during the application review and then blind it somehow. But most of the time, the people who are doing the ranking are and interviewing are the people who are reviewing applications as well, especially in the smaller programs programs or specialties like ours. So I think that would be hard to do. So does it introduce a little bit of bias that may come out in the ranking process? Probably. I mean, I can't deny that, right? Um, but I think to explicitly use it in the ranking process is, um, is detrimental. 
And I think something that's really important for people to recognize when they are applying to a specialty is that there are such differences in how the specialties are actually using signaling. So some recommend actually signaling your home institution or signaling where you did an away rotation. And so there are so many details about this process that people really need to learn about rather than relying on their peer who may be applying to a totally different specialty. So you have shared with us so many different tips about how preference signaling is going to work. And you have answered so many questions of applicants who are so stressed about the process, but overall should recognize that these changes are truly meant to help the process benefit the applicant as well as the program. Are there any other tips that you would like to share for applicants that are applying this cycle who will be utilizing preference signaling? Yeah, so a couple of things. I want to absolutely emphasize and highlight what you just said, which is that there is a lot of information out there, but it's not all coming from sources that may have all the information, right? So I know there's a lot of Reddit and Google Docs and talking to people who did it last year. Please make sure that you're going to the official sources. So the supplemental application information is on the AAMC website. They have a whole whole page dedicated to the supplemental application with FAQs and and everything about preference signaling. Really importantly, dermatology is is saying no signaling to home and away programs, which is different than a lot of other specialties. And I've already heard some confusion about that. So make sure that you are following the the AAMC and also your specialty, because there should be people from your specialty representatives who are giving that information. And we have that in dermatology through our National Derm Interest Group Association of Students and through the Association of Professors of Dermatology. The other thing is to just reiterate, be genuine as you're going through this process. In, in every way, in every step of the way. With preference signaling, don't try to, you know, over-strategize where you think you're going to get an interview, where you think you're not going to get an interview. Really go based on what's important to you and what, what you see in programs that aligns with what's important to you. And then the last thing is, yes, this is an incredibly stressful time. I know it's stressful. We're, there's so many of us trying to make this process better. The only way to make it better is to institute changes and see how the changes go. I know that's hard to go through because you feel like you're being experienced experimented on a little bit. And I apologize for that. There's really no other way around it. The status quo is unsustainable. It's awful for a lot of people. So we have to be able to move forward. And we're trying to do it in a way that it will impact people positively. But of course, applicants go through the process once, hopefully some people go through more than once, and then you're done and you never want to think about it again, because you have, you know, PTSD from it, which I understand. We as programs go through it every year. So we're trying to figure out ways to, to, to make it better over time. And we so appreciate applicants participating in, in the process, participating in, um, you know, different focus groups that we've had through AAMC, through specialties, filling out surveys. It is so important to have your feedback. It means so much to us. And it's the only way that we can really come to a better process and impact things positively for the future. I think that is such a wonderful way to end. You might get so many different surveys along the way through this process as an applicant, but just recognize helping those that are the year below you make this process even better is going to make it easier on us all. Well, that's all the time we have today with Dr. Rossman. Thanks for joining us at Inside the Match. Special thanks to Kevin McLeod for the music and be sure to follow or subscribe to our podcast. Catch our next podcast to learn more application tips and hear from another awesome leader in medical education. 